Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Eric Trexler. Good day, Eric. How Good you doing? Good day, Rachel. I'm well. I, I, I commented in our prep that you were very professional today, and your opening was the same thing. So I'm going to ask you as an expert a, a, a really difficult question. Okay. Is it better if your wife intentionally poisons you <laughs> with COVID? Or is it better if it's just, you know, well, I don't really care if you get it or not? How would you how would you roll on that one? Uh, you know, I think when you cohabitate, there are just some inevitabilities, Eric, that perhaps come about, and maybe they're intentional, not intentional. I'm going to go with a gray area on yeah. that. Yeah, you better introduce that? our guest today, then. <laughs> I see you're on a difficult ground. <laughs> Already starting off hard. Okay, uh, joining us today is Gerald Karen. He is the chief information officer for the Office of Inspector General at the Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome to the podcast, Gerald. Thanks, Rachel. So we today would like to start at the very beginning for you. Ooh, good, uh, we're good. always interested in the journey. You know, what, what got you on the path to IT and security? Uh, was it before you joined the Army? I mean, I'd, I'd love for our listeners to hear kind of what that looked like. Yeah, Um yeah, I actually went to college, a um, little small technical college in northern Maine for a little while, um, did computer programming, uh, decided, you know, being in Maine, there's not a whole bunch of computer jobs that were enticing. Um, so I decided to join the Army, uh, spent seven years in the Army as a computer programmer, and I got stationed at the Pentagon. Uh, and I was scheduled to get out in 2001. And I said, well, and especially with IT at that time, it's like, what better place to get out um, if I was going to be in IT? So uh, I got a contractor job, uh, actually as a contractor for Department of State, answering telephones at the help desk. So I started out at the, well, some people will probably say the bottom rung of the ladder. And I spent 20 uh, outstanding years at the Department of State and worked my way up to SES from being a answering telephones at a help desk to uh, being a system administrator uh, to being an active directory SCCM team lead uh, and then lab lead to a branch chief to division chief and then became director of enterprise network management while I was there. What a journey. And, and Gerald, how did you, like, I joined in, um, you know, right out of high school, unassigned airborne, right? So I was going to be infantryman, which I was. How did you decide, like, IT was the place for you versus anything else? Was, was there a calling or just interested you? Yeah, it was just an interest. Um, I, I, you know, how, how things worked. I, I like dealing with data. I like solving problems. And um, I just always like computers from, you know, my TR, you know, had my um, TRS-80, you know, we had in oh, our yeah. school. Way we had back. a couple of Way them. Back. And I just thought it was really cool. Um, some of the things it could do. And I had a little... Um, uh, Radio Shack color computer at home hooked up to the TV, you know, with the tape recorder, writing little programs. And um, I just 
just kind of stuck and it's something that I wanted to do and I just stuck with it and and then when I went to college you know did RPG and COBOL which I didn't wholly like um, but ended up going in the army because I thought there was other opportunities there and I learned a lot I did I did a lot of database management in the army for uh, personnel um, branches of the army um, programming yeah I, I converted old COBOL programs to access databases at the time. So kind of learning the, 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 that technology. And I just kept learning and learning because the opportunities were endless. And I just loved it, loved that because there was always a challenge figuring something out and, you know, seeing the results, you know, of your little program coming out. So I just thought it was really cool. So, I mean, it's nothing spellbinding, but it's just something that it just stuck and I liked. Yeah, that, that is a good example where, you know, in IT, there's the, the frontier is so wide open. Yes. There, there's so much you can do and, and you're, you can learn your entire career and still only know a, a tiny fraction of what's going on in the industry and, and everything else. Yeah. yeah and yeah. So I was a kind of a, yeah, kind of a jack of all trades. I kind of got my bit into everything, database administration, programming, um, all, all kinds of things. And, and you know, I still look back as one of my fondest jobs, or I'm glad I experienced it, was the call center, mm-hmm. um, answering telephones on the help desk. Because you deal with all kinds of technologies, learn all kinds of problems, how to solve it, working with the tier twos. You know, I was one that would actually want to work with the tier twos and kind of understand right. how something got fixed and stuff. Um, so you know, learn from that so I can better help customers. So there was always, it was just a great learning opportunity. I I just think everybody should experience that at some point in their IT career is being on the front lines of a tier one help desk. I'm I'm with you. I did the same thing. I was a, I don't think I've shared this story with you, Rachel. I was a software test engineer out of college. Technically I was still in college Okay. and I lasted two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had three monitors back in those days. It was, it was rational visual test, which I think Microsoft consumed at some point. And I'm running test routines all day, every day. And I can't talk to anybody and I'm just, and I'm not a programmer either. I'm just looking at these screens. My, my, it's just not my personality for anybody who does it. Anybody who's in programming, it's just not me. And that's okay. We can both go our own ways. But we had a lot of technical issues at the business I was in with our cust- our customers had technical issues. So they put a couple of us, um, I- I'd say kids, but early stage career personnel in a, in a uh, break room. It's this little break room in the middle of the building, one story building, no windows or anything. We set up desks, really tables with, with computers everywhere. And we were the interface between level one, level two help desk and engineering. And all of the issues that were hard came to us, and it was the greatest job ever. I loved it. You were helping people. You could literally get things fixed. You learned so rapidly because you'd go and talk to the head DBA or you'd talk to the head GUI interface programmer and say, why does it look like this? Why is it working like this? You'd go out. You'd fly out on the hard cases to customers. I spent a, I spent a week in Bank One Ballpark in Arizona watching the Diamondbacks waiting for restaurant point-of-sale systems to fail. It was a great job, Gerald. I'm with you. I, I, it, was, it, was like a, it was like trial by fire, but it was one of those things where you really learned quickly. You helped people. 
and you understood the the workings of that piece of the business. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, absolutely. Rachel, you ever do anything like that in marketing? Uh, For any well, listeners, the eyes are going back and forth, <laughs> left and right, like a like, like a uh, Grover doll that you're shaking furiously in the air. Anything, yeah. Rachel? Well, I think the closest thing was when I worked at Dell and I was in uh, product communications, uh, you were assigned uh, the media phone. So you would have to answer the media hotline uh, during like a three-hour window or something, usually during the lunchtime when people okay. were out. And so you would get question, field questions, you know, from all areas of the business that you didn't interact with, which I thought, I guess, was a form of that, of learning uh, about areas outside of, you know, the products that I was supporting at the time. Um, and you would also get customers who would call that hotline because it was the only published number they could find for Dell. And, and they would share their feedback as well. Uh, I'm so sure it was I, always I happy. We love you. We love what Dell's doing for her. I'm sure it was yeah, always happy stuff. Every time I wore a Dell shirt in an airplane, I got to hear from more customers as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it was sort of the same, but different. Yes. So these <laughs> media phone, not to be confused, not to be confused with movie phone, right? In that episode of Chris Seinfeld. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, these so these early stage way. trial by fire experiences are very impressionable. They I agree really with you, are. Gerald. Yeah. Everybody should have something that pushes you really hard. Yeah. And, you know, I get, and I took, you know, you, every job you have, you take a piece of it with you, yes, the good yes. and the bad and, and learn from it. And, you know, from that, I got a great appreciation for customer service because right. we all deal with customer service yes, with our own yes. things. And it's like, well, if I don't like the way they're doing it, I, you know, I want to make sure I'm providing good customer service because I don't want to be like that other um, organization, which every time I call, it's just, it's just like pulling teeth yes, kind of thing. Yes. So, yeah, yeah you know so how I, you I, feel. I've carried that forward with me. Yeah. Yeah. You know how you feel when you get bad service. You want to do better. You can't always do it, yep. but you want to do better. Yep. Always. Yeah. Incremental changes can add up over time as well. So you just got to start somewhere. Um, so would you say, uh, I was reading an article that you were uh, talking about IT modernization, and I, and I really liked what you were talking about. If you don't have the users involved, right, and as part of your modernization process and planning, uh, then it's going to be really difficult. And, you know, the one of the big challenges is hesitancy, is what you said. You know, when, when users feel like any of these changes are going to more complicate their workflow, then they're less likely to to kind of embrace them. So I, I, I thought that was a really interesting comment and important one about kind of users first. And perhaps that kind of started from, you know, your, your time at the help desk. Um, but you're coming on, what, about a, a year now in your role as CIO. Um, is that kind of shaping how you're looking at, you know, what you want to accomplish in the role ahead and, and kind of what have you done in year one and what, what do the next five years look like? Yeah. Oh, loaded question. <laughs> um, but a good one. So, good one. yes. Um, so, yeah, so I'm very customer focused. Um, and one of the things we did, yeah, so first of all, um, it came into what I would say in a very tactical, reactionary sure, organization. Sure. Um, not a bad thing, but, you know, they were they were jumping to the occasion when, when things happened. So um, developed a multi-year strategic plan, new mission, vision and understand and introduced um, some more formal 
planning and we're still maturing it. You can't do it over overnight. Right, right. Um, um, maturing our formal planning. The other thing I looked at was, you know, and I think this is kind of the root of a lot of things. And I think people don't pay m- enough attention. And I like to go back to basics, communications. Right. Tell us more. We, we inventoried every aspect of how we communicate right, right. and where our communication, where we weren't communicating. And then we looked at, all right, this is how we're communicating in this instance. Like it may be we send out an email to say we're doing maintenance, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Does it make sense to the people? Are they even reading it or are they right. just ignoring it? You know, um, you, you send it out, but how many calls are we getting back? Um, are people understanding as a result of us doing that work now? Are we getting a whole bunch of calls because people aren't reading it? Or, so we did every aspect. Newsletter, we put out a bi-monthly newsletter to kind of humanize ourselves. We introduced somebody from our staff to say, hey, we're humans too. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, how we communicate internally, how we communicate externally, every aspect of communications. And, of course, communications is, is – sender, receiver, and feedback. So we need to make sure we have that feedback. So um, we've engaged, like there's one customer we have, we meet with them monthly. And um, they kind of said um, that, you know, they felt kind of um, in a way ignored in the past when it came to IT things. Um, So, you know, they kind of didn't hold their breath when they needed something, you know, whether they get it or not. And, you know, so we started meeting monthly with them, what they weren't doing. We're listening, we're delivering, we're getting an understanding because we're now we're getting that whole 360. So the working level, they're talking, but they sometimes talk past each other. But now at management, as a senior managers, we're meeting monthly, getting on the same page, understanding what's coming up, what we're hearing, getting that understanding. So now we have a full 360 to make sure everybody can get on the same page, understand what priorities are and, and things like that. So. Great, unbelievable relationship, I think, has been fostered and it continues to mature. Um, so one of the things is, of course, you know, one of the big efforts we're doing around cybersecurity is zero trust. Right. So a lot of people, I think, um, I'm probably not too far off in saying this, it's an IT thing. It's the back office, the security guys are putting stuff together and everything. What we did is we actually presented to our whole OIG community, hey, we're doing zero trust. All right, what does that mean? What is it? Why is it important? And then here's some benefits to you as a result of us doing this. There's gonna be some good things as a result of doing this. And, but also we need something from you. So with zero trust, we're trying to protect data. Where's the data? Right. When do you access it? How do you access it? When do you, or how do you want to access it? So not how, how necessarily. So we want right data, the right people at the right time. So we say, how do you want to work? Not how do you work? How do you really want to work? So we can say, all right, now that we understand that, now let's build those requirements in. So then it's less friction when it comes time to adoption because we listened and we did our best to include the, the things of how you want to work uh, in the future, especially with, you know, going mass remote work and people want to still be mobile and have more access to things as they get a little more comfortable in time. You know, hey, I wish I could do this now as a result. Right. So we really want to make sure that we include them. I call that including them as part of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
I, I use a football analogy, you know, football team, right? You got the players on the field. Those are the people that are making things happen and, and doing the tech, the technology stuff. You got the sidelines, your project managers, your coaches, your managers, things like that. The, the, the indirect support, the water boys, you got your C, your C-suite people, people mm-hmm. up in the skybox, you know, that are making sure the resources, the prioritization is there. But if not for the fans, would that team exist? Right. No. So I always remind my engineers, hey, HHSOIG was not put on this earth to do IT. That's not the primary mission. IT is the enabler. So got to remind them of that as well. Um, and we would not be here if we didn't have fans, basically. So we do it for our fans. We need to listen to our fans and um, be responsible to our fans. So we put a good product out on the field. I like the way you think about that, and I think that model really, really holds up, with the exception of like the New York Jets or something. But um, I, I, I think I, I'm I think, a Patriots I, fan, I, so I have no problem. <laughs> you have no problem there. No, I think that model really holds up, though, Jared. Like you've got to. I, I saw a quote from you in a Fed Scoop article. The users, my users, are part of my team. And I saw that and I was like, this is not a traditional CIO perspective, at least one that gets vocalized frequently. Like you're thinking of your fans in everything you do from, yeah. you know, at, at least that snapshot and, and the discussion we've had so far, it's about them. And, and it really is. It's a great perspective. Yeah, I, I came from uh, what, you know, there was in the past, you know, I've seen where it's like, Hey, you know, the it guys, they're creating this great thing. And from an it perspective, you can nerd out on it, right? It's great. great. It's a shiny new object. It's awesome. And then they deploy it. And all right, what's the business case that's being deployed. And it's like, come on, like it, you know, you want to like it. It's kind (laughs) of like, it's kind of like pushing now, right? Come on, come on. (laughs) And, And it's just like, how much money, effort, resource, and time was spent to deliver something that nobody wanted? Eh, nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody really wanted it. Nobody was asking for it. Right. You know, so. I, on on the opposite side of that coin, it's it's very often difficult to get out of an IT organization or a cybersecurity organization what their real what they do care about, what their real needs are, because a lot of times they'll you know we'll get an RFI for product level stuff. But we can't get to the fans either and really understand what does HHS need to do their job? Right. And the yeah. fact that you're pushing that to me is is incredible. I'd I'd love to understand though, how'd you do it? Right? The normal CIO, normal IT organization, I'm assuming is running, oh I don't know, 120% all open just to hit the day to day. You come in, you've got a team that's working their you know what's off trying to get things done. How do you how do you how do you take a step back? How do you take a pause? Yeah, that's the thing is accessibility and communications. It's that simple. Uh, be accessible, offer different avenues to be accessible from the user community. Listen, don't just dismiss. So um, refine, understand, make sure you have that feedback loop going. And really, really focus on, we did, and when I say this is no exaggeration, we did a deep dive on all aspects of communications just to make sure we were effectively communicating, we were effectively listening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so people were, so if, let's say, Eric, you were a firewall engineer, right? Right. 
And I said, and you were making a change. And I asked you why you were making that change. Oh, because it's the latest release from blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, it's, it's something that I will just be read very this good. blog and it's a good thing to do. Yeah. How is it enabling the mission? Yeah, that's the answer I want. I don't I want know. the technical I don't, I don't answer. Talk to them. Well, I've, there's a, and I've then we have then we have an internal right. So then we have an internal communications problem. So that's why we have um, a new strategic plan. Make sure that everybody understands the goals of our strategic plan. It talks about being mission driven, um, business oriented, field first mentality, meaning the people that are out on the front lines doing the OIG mission. We're we're we understand what that mission is and that we're supporting it. So really getting that communications and that understanding and not breaking down that stovepipe. I mean, I had stovepipes just within the small organization. I had to break those stovepipes down. Um, and it's, 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 we, we're still, we still work on it and we still foster it, but I see more collaboration with our customers, more collaboration internally, more, and you get a, a natural understanding of like, Oh, you know, because you get how many times have you had like if the three of us were talking, we were in a meeting, then we go back to our staff and we say, blah, blah, blah. Guess what Rachel said? Blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, she's trying to do this and I don't believe that. But when you get the people together and get an understanding why Jerry's saying this, why is Rachel saying this, Ooh. people just start figuring out. It's like now I understand where she's coming from. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, it's, get rid of that back office talk. Bring the people, bring the humans together and, you know, because sometimes you can send me an email and I'll interpret it a certain way. Exactly. But when I talk to you, oh, I get it now. Um, so we're trying, I'm trying to bring more people together to collaborate. I don't think there's any project that we are not collaborating. Uh, so I'm not just giving it to a stovepipe and saying, all right, hey, here's the thing that you, we need to do. We need to engineer this. All right, go. Yeah. Um, no, the enterprise architect's involved. Very important, which I think is underutilized in a lot of locations. I think enterprise architecture is just a p nice picture on the wall, um, but we're trying to make it actionable. Um, my CTO is involved. My my CISO is involved. My operations lead is involved. And the other thing that I'm, I'm fostering and I keep fostering is any idea can come from a great place. It can come from a customer and it can come from the lower level person turning the screws. I don't like turning this with a screw. I want to I want to do it with something else. All right. Let them be heard. Um, not filter up. I want to hear every idea. So inclusion is very important to make sure everybody's included and everybody has a voice because every every ideas can come from anywhere. Yeah. But I'm assuming you're talking assuming about, you're a talking about a major cultural shift, cultural here, shift here in the yes. way in HHS, the way HHS operated. operated. Is that fair? Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at, yeah. So one of the parts of the communications is culture change. Yeah. Um, because, you know, um, you know, I'm fr I come from the military and there is a chain of command. And I totally respect the chain of command. Um, it's in place so things can be managed properly. But that doesn't, that do, I'm not trying to throw that out but I want to make sure that all voices are heard. Right. So um, the other thing is um, failure is not a bad thing. Failure is an opportunity. Failure is a reason to learn and an opportunity to learn. So fail fast and learn from it. So um, trying to get rid of that notion of failure is not an option. Well, if, you're, if you have an SOP that says do it this way and you don't follow it, 
and it fails, okay, that's something. But, you know, if we're doing, you know, we're trying to modernize, we're trying to do new technologies, we're all learning from it. All right, didn't work. You know, you do your testing, it didn't work. What did we learn? All right, let's try again with these little changes. And, you know, so failure is not necessarily a bad thing. I think people have looked on failure. So definitely, definitely trying to foster a positive culture change uh, within the organization that all voices can be heard. Failure is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, communicating with our customers, understanding what our customers' needs are, because um, that's why we're here. We wouldn't have jobs if they didn't if they didn't exist. What do you think, Rachel, Director of Communications? What do you think to that message? I love it. I love it. That's yeah. exactly what what you want to hear. And it's it's crazy that more people don't don't espouse that, Gerald. I mean, it's it seems kind of straightforward. Right. I mean, when we're all on the same page, then we can kind of execute on the mission together in alignment. Um, and why do you think that others just aren't on that bandwagon yet or, or aren't embracing? Is it too hard or is change scary? Or I mean, what's what's holding people back from kind of getting to this this path of almost enlightenment, if you will? <laughs> <laughs> really good question. Um, I think I think sometimes not to say uh, I want to say it in a not a totally negative way. Oh, just use my voice then. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I tried. Um, they're not going to work. Um, I think people are look at the immediate right. sometimes. And I think it's like they look at the reactionary thing and the Band-Aid that is yeah. needed um, to put it to put it in the light term. Sure. And, and Band-Aid and, and on to the next thing. Yes. Whereas I think sometimes, you know, so what do you end up doing? You keep band-aiding, right? As things come about. So I'm really trying to dig down to the to the, you know, the trenches, the you know, the root cause, the root issue, or the root areas, and right. build those up so I have a good foundation, an organization, uh, in which everybody can feel inclusive, everybody can communicate, everybody sees things in a positive way. Now, are you gonna have 100% of your employees? You know. Absolutely in euphoria and nirvana. No, there's always going to be somebody that doesn't mine like something. Are, mine are all happy, just so you know, Jared. Every single so one of them. come work for Eric then. I'll send you my resume then, Eric. Um, but still, you listen to them. Why? Why do they still feel that way? So uh, I'm fortunate enough, actually. Um, my organization is small enough. Mm-hmm. One of the things I did at the be- at the end and the beginning of this calendar year is I interviewed every single one of my employees, oh, government nice. employees, one of my staff. What do they like? They, they could talk about anything. I left it open. Mm-hmm. But what I try to ask them, what do they like? What do they not like? What would they like to see better? Uh, things like that. Um, generally, it was overall positive. They like some of the changes. They like some of the new technologies being introduced and ideas and thoughts of, you know, we wish we could have done this this way for a while kind of thing or look at these things. But they're all human. So I wanted to make sure that they all had an opportunity and I got to meet all of them, especially when I come in during the COVID um, time. And we're not going to revisit Eric's first question at the beginning. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) but um you know, I never got a chance to meet all my staff. So, you know, getting with them one-on-one, understanding what – I found out 
you know, I didn't know somebody was doing certain things, you know, now I know. Um, Then I know who my strength, where my strengths are or where my issues, my, where people, um, their functional areas are. So, you know, sometimes I like to reach straight down, you know, sometimes I bypass because why? It gives me a chance to talk to them as well as I know I'm going to get the straight answer from them because that's what they do kind of thing. So, you know, getting an understanding from me who does what, um, what makes them tick. And it gave them an opportunity, you know, um, not to, I, I don't, I, yeah, I'm the CIO, but I'm not on, I don't stand on a pillar. I am, the way I look at it is, you know, if my employees, they make me successful and I, what do they need so I can make them successful? So it's a team effort at the end of the day. And the same thing I say to my contractors. And how do you do you know? that during COVID? How, how do you do that? It's hard, right? We're not coming in as much. It's much harder. Yeah. But we have virtual, like uh, every quarter we'll have a virtual town hall okay. uh, for all the OCIO staff. Um, are so, people coming you know, in the, now though? Yeah, some are. Okay. Some are. Not much, but I got, like I have like my um, operations director, my acting operations director. She lives in uh, San Francisco area. Ah. Um, so, you know, you always keep your chat open. Long drive. Um, yeah. We, we have virtual town halls every other week. Um, we, um, I have bi-weekly um, with all my directors, and they can invite their staff. Um, it's not just, just the director, but I like to have their staff there so I can hear directly from them as well. So just trying to make as many opportunities as possible. Um, I don't like to have meetings just to have meetings, Um, but, you know, make sure that there's meaning to them. We've done surveys like we just did a survey for our upcoming town hall um, that we're having this coming month, you know, about culture, you know, what is good, what isn't. So we asked about a few questions um, just to kind of get a get a gauge because sometimes they won't tell me directly. Um, I'll get the kind of positive, but you right. know, in a way to give an anonymous way. So, um, we, we try to keep all kinds of different ways to communicate out there. It, I, I wish you could see it. We have it on this mural, um, kind of thing, um, where we, we have, it, it would cover a whole wall, um, if we drew it out on an actual whiteboard, but virtually it's just amazing. All the communications we, we inventoried. Yeah, that's impressive. I mean, in, in the time of COVID where people are not in the office very often, I mean, at best case, you're probably hybrid and, you know, in most organizations, you see people once or twice a week, whatever it may be. It's much more, it's different. I, I think personally, maybe it's my age, it's more difficult, but it's different. Yeah. And, you know, um, to be, to talk about a cliche, you know, IT people, tend to be more on the introverted side as well. Um, so you kind of got to pull them out. Some, some of them you got to pull out sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so reaching out directly sometimes, make sure that, you know, I, I don't get mad about things. You know, things happen. Yeah, I'll vent. But, you know, you never you never show that in front of your, your staff. Um, of course, you, you get an understanding. Things happen for a reason. Um, make sure that we learn from them. Make sure that we understand um, you know, I just don't blow up for the sake of blowing up. It's like, oh, the network's down. Okay, you know, let's see what's going on. Do we understand? I, 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 I honest to God, have an unbelievable staff. They, they're 
got some great government employees that I'm just Wonderful. so thankful to have. Um, they do a great job. They're very thorough. They're, they're more thorough than I ever imagined <laughs> um, a staff could be. Um, very good at what they do. So I'm, in that regard, I'm fortunate to, to have them. It makes a huge difference for sure. Yes. You got to value your people. I mean, Absolutely. they're the ones making the things happen. Well, exactly. So let's talk a little Zura Trust. What do you think? I Rachel? was hoping we would get there. Yes. Because I think All Gerald right. has a nothing uh, about it. perspective on Zura Trust. <laughs> At least I hope so. Go ahead, Rachel. We'll Go see. Ahead, Rachel. Well, I mean, I... Can we talk about the ATARC, uh, the lab, the demo lab, and all the work that you guys? Oh, you're going there? right there. Okay, okay. Oh, what, did you want me to soft pedal? No, no. I I gave it, it to you. Go for it. Awesome. I just I thought it was genius, and I would love for you to share with our listeners, you know, kind of how how that zero trust demo lab works and, and what you guys are doing because it just is so smart. I love it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I got involved with ATARC uh, some years ago. Um, when Tick 3.0 was early on, ah, um, yes. then I chaired a Tick 3.0 working group. And what we did is we came up with the use cases, um, and then we had vendors come in and actually do demos. Not just do white papers, but we really wanted to see. Here's the use cases. Show us how, you, how it works. We had about seven or eight, I think, presentations. And then uh, we really liked that format, the way we went about it. And then so we started a zero trust working group, uh, myself and another uh, lady um, from SBA co-chair it. Um, she's out on maternity leave. Congratulations to her. Um, but so we co-chair. And so what we found out at the beginning is uh, we had the government represent. We had the government participation. We had about, I think, 20 um, at the beginning and some vendors. Um, Probably about 15, 10, we started off. We grandfathered everybody in from the Tech 3.0 um, working group in. And we found out we had some new membership, and everybody had a different de definition of zero trust. We said, all right, yes. hold on. Let's let's have government only. Let's get level set on what the heck zero trust is. Mm -hmm. So it took a lot of my within presentations. Government. Even within government, Jared, yeah. we, have, we have at yeah. least, I can count, we have NIST, we have CISA. We now have yours, yeah. we have Army, Air Force, Navy, we have DOD, DIS, I mean, we have a lot. Yeah. And, and I like to say I go back, I'm a I'm forced to certified zero trust strategist, so I go back to the basic principles okay. and, you know, the, the true zero trust, not... Like back to 2010. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so I've been doing it for many years, well before 800-207 and all those things. Before it became so, cool, um, So... <laughs> yeah, I was cool before the cool kids. Me too. Um, I was a trendsetter. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, the trendsetters, John Kindervad and Dr. Cunningham and stuff, but um, which are unbelievable people if you ever get to talk. Yeah, we've had we've had uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Zuratrust, Chase Cunningham on the yes. show probably, yeah, he's probably awesome. three or four times. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. He's um, but okay. so what we did is, all right, let's level set, make sure everybody's on the same page, what zero trust is. So government kind of split off. And as we did that, we started feeding the vendors so that they would understand okay. what we're defining, how we're going about this. And so that they could start prepping. So then we merged, remerged once we had all the definitions and everything. Um, we remerged and we came up with an outline for the vendors. So there were five architectural 
use cases. How, if I use your thing, how does it get deployed? And here's the five different use cases for that. And then we had what I call the zero trust functional capabilities model. So CISA has five pillars, which are data, endpoint, application, network, and user. Well, we have uh, visibility and analytics and automation I added to mine, and they all have functional capabilities under all of them. And also governance, which crosses all of the pillars um, for like risk scoring or confidence scoring um, kind of things where the, the policy and all of those kind of things. So, all right, show us if you're going to present, show us what functional areas that you cover primarily, where do you integrate because it's an integration effort. And then we had 12 use cases to demo. Wow. Um, and each of the vendors, we ended up at the end of the day, we have 60 plus vendors wow. participating. And I think we're up to like 30 government agencies represented in some form or fashion. So 60 vendors, they all get a chance to highlight and showcase. And I think we do two every Friday, um, showcase their solution. Their, I call it, kind of call it a stovepipe, their stovepipe solution. How they map um, to your Zero Trust framework or how they map to the 12 scenarios? All of that. Okay. So all of that's got to be included. So that outline is their template for their presentation. And how and long demo. do they have? 75 minutes. Now, okay, they're not going to make it through all 12 use cases. Nope, but decent <laughs> yeah, so amount of time. They don't make it through all 12 use cases. They can do as many as they want within the 12. We don't expect them to do all the 12. So that's successfully going. I think those are wrapping up this month or next month because they've been going on for the better part of the year. Um, right. As you can imagine, 60 vendors, two a week, um, wow. been going on. But it's singular solution. Nobody does zero trust themselves. There's no one tool. There's no one silver right. bullet. So we're now we're moving to phase two. So the government's remeeting, and we have developed an outline and use cases for phase two. Phase two is, all right, vendors, partner because it is an integration. We've right. all seen your singular solutions, which is great. Um, and they've been very good presentations. A lot of people have gotten benefit out of it, but we want to see more of a true right. zero trust integration. So now we got integrators joining and we got nice. vendors that it will be partnering to kind of put their demos together. We'll give right now we have 12 use cases again, and we'll ask them to present and this will be closed to the government. The other, the Vendor presentations have been open, mm -hmm. um, but this will be more closed to the government only um, for them to showcase their output. So the great thing about this is for the vendors, it's presenting once to many. Yes. Also, it's being set up so it's actionable. It's not just a white paper or drawing on the wall. It's actually show us. Here's the government's use cases, and it's apples to apples. So we're all looking at the same use cases every time. Um, and we're kind of controlling the narrative of the things that we want to see. Now, the great thing about phase two is once that's set up, we um, ATARC has its own lab space. We're hoping that it will be, be there long term so we can iterate on it. Love and it. also that any of the government, because we're all our special snowflakes, we all have our little requirements and we're, right. we're all created. We're not all created equal. My implementation of Zero Trust is going to look different than Eric's or Rachel's. Right. Um, so, you know, I need to do my flavor so I can engage with the vendor on that. 
Um, you know, the other thing is, is like, you know, if you have for an identity management, you know, you have one product, you know, kind of module you can talk through is like, well, I've already got this investment and all right, well, you can switch that out with this kind of thing and kind of get through those kind of things. So we want it to be stood up. So it will be longer. And then ATARC has a bunch of other working groups. They got a cloud working group. Um, they get all kinds of other working groups. So what I'm hoping that we can also do with the lab is like, all right, you're doing multi-cloud environments and things. Here's what it looks. All right. We got a zero trust lab. Well, come into this and here's what it looks like in zero trust now. So we can start taking these working groups and getting them more holistic. So it looks more, it starts getting more look to look like an actual agency environment in some form or fashion. Right. I think it's genius. I love it. I love can you give it. us an example of a use case just so our listeners can can really understand what you're talking about? Yeah, an example of a use case may be um, a user who is remote or at a branch office accessing HR data on a mobile device. Perfect. Okay. So, I mean, these are real or, business use cases that not just your agency has, but pretty much any agency right. would have with, with their own special yep. spin potentially. Mm-hmm. Right, they're using yep. different technology or whatever, but okay. Yeah, and we've done with a VPN, without a VPN. Um, it may be accessing data from an on-premise network from a fully managed laptop, uh, fingerprint or highly valued data from another agency as well. Um, okay. So there's those types of use cases. And you're expecting the vendors – oh, go ahead, go ahead. Because a lot of people, when they talk about zero trust, they talk about what's in the realm of control and everything. But we're also sharing data with other organizations. So how, do we, how are we addressing control. that as well? Yeah. 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 So I would I would imagine a lot of vendors come in and try to show you something that's that's cool, whiz bang, you know, graphics or hey, we can do this. But you're really driving them to the to the business use case, what the agency needs to do to do the business of the of, of HHS in this example. Yeah, we're taking the um, what is it, Missouri? Missouri, the Show Me State. Yes, Missouri, the Show Me State. Yes, I used to have a customer trying to take tracks, the, the Show Me tracks, State. Tracks. I'm from Missouri. I'm from Missouri. <laughs> you got to show it to me, and I get no. You're not. You're from Baltimore. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I, it was I got great. you, Dave. I got. I got you, Dave. Dave up at up at Random House. I got you. You're from Missouri. We'll show you. We can do this. We can do this. But you're really mapping back to what you need to do to to protect or enable the agency's business and data. Yeah, and they're they're high level use cases that would apply to every agency. But you know, we want the labs to be set up for a little longer term so that the different government participants can come in with their special snowflakes and kind of do some follow up as well. But we want to see something actionable. We want to see how it actually works. Love it. Um, so. That's what we want. I love it. So, Rachel, I hate to tell you, it's that time again. <laughs> Can I Don't worry, you? Gerald. Nothing uh, Nothing scary for you. Yeah, no. We're just at the Can end I of the show. One final oh. question because I'm- Already. I'm, I'm into reading these days, and I would love to know kind of what's, what's the last great book you read? Ooh. You know, it could be re- related to IT. Could not. You know, we're open here. You know what? Um, I- it's sitting on my um, end table, and I really need to 
dive a little bit more into it, but um, it's the Dave Grohl's book from the Foo Fighters. Oh, yeah. No way. Um, he has a book. I, I love the Foo Fighters right behind Tom He's Petty. awesome. Um, here for the but Foo yeah, Fighters. Uh, I hear nothing but good things about his book. And I want to, I've only got a little bit into it, but I'm just looking so forward to reading He's it. He's so awesome. Like, how cool is this guy? Like, Yeah. Like, yeah, I had a chance life. to see him in yeah. concert and it was fun. Nice. Awesome. I would give anything to see that. Yeah, that's a great book. Thank you, because I'm looking for some summer reading. That's perfect. Yeah, and there's another book. Um, somebody recommended to it to me, and I haven't read it yet, but um, I, I, I got to read it soon. Sandworm. Oh, a yeah. new era of oh, cyber yeah. war and hunt for the Kremlin's most dangerous hackers. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. uh what's what's his name? Um I, don't know, I just I, I met him at RSA. Andy Greenberg. Andy yes. Greenberg. I met him at RSA two years right before COVID or right during the beginnings oh, cool. of COVID. He has a new book coming out in it's on cryptocurrency in the fall. Oh. Yeah, he's a wired he's a wired author. Yeah. For Wired Magazine. He is, I, I just saw on, uh, I don't know, Twitter or LinkedIn the other day, there's a new book coming out in the fall also. Yeah, Sandwor- Sandworm's pretty good. I haven't read it yet, so that's a good one. Yeah, I've on. heard nothing but good things, and so it's sitting right here, of course, as you saw. So. We were going to get him on the podcast, and then COVID hit, and everything shut down. Ooh. Although we continue the I'm podcast. still one of those people that read a physical it book. It feels I- good, doesn't it? The turning of the yeah. pages, and yeah. Yeah. It's did not you, the same uh, on a Kindle. It's no, it's not. As we're wrapping up, though, did you see, what was the movie, I think it was like an HBO documentary on the Foo Fighters, like Sonic Highways or something, I think, or maybe that's just an Oh, episode. I missed that. Yeah. yeah that was, I think I had some episodes recorded of that it. That was pretty yeah. good, too. Yeah. Was it Sonic? I, I got to look that up, but yeah. No, yeah, it was. Know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, three Foo Fighter fans here wrapping up, Rachel, huh? <laughs> huh? Yes, I like that. Yes. Great way to end a great way to end the episode. So, uh, thanks again, Gerald. Really, really appreciate your time joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. Great, great conversation. Great perspective. Yeah. Oh, too. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, awesome perspective. Thank you. I really appreciate it, and it was nice. Nice. Uh, thanks for having me. And to all of our listeners out there, thanks again for joining us. And and as always, don't forget, Eric. What are they not to forget? Smash the subscription. Oh, I thought you were going to say don't infect your spouse with COVID, but okay. Don't infect your spouse with <laughs> Intentionally. COVID. And be sure to hit the subscription button. So uh, once again, we'll, we'll see you this time next week. Uh, and until then, everyone stay safe. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.